Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, brothers and sisters. Welcome to this very special episode. I am so excited to be interviewing Nassim Haramine. When I started the podcast and just thought about some of the people that, you know, if I had a wish list to interview, Nassim was at the top of the list. Um, he is the, I don't know if, what the exact role is, but founder, creator, uh, mastermind behind the Resonance Science Foundation. This is the group that I went to Egypt with. Um, I've gone through the Resonance Science course, uh, the delegate course that I highly recommend everybody check out because it just, uh, it really is a powerful, powerful course. It talks about world history. It talks about the history of physics. It talks about physics and modern physics. It talks about um, a lot of different things, but it's not just science-based. It's how we understand the world around us and it's an extremely powerful course then i had this beautiful incredible amazing opportunity to go to egypt with him and the science foundation and the other uh, delegates and the faculty and the faculty are extraordinary the group is extraordinary it goes beond just the course because you're in there with this uh, group of people there's other astrophysicists engineers mathematicians uh, you know, you name it, scientists, and they're all communicating with the same heart-centered goal in mind. And I love how they call it resonance science because the the idea is to become in, come into resonance, come into harmony, come into balance. So uh, I've been a huge fan of his work for a long time. Uh, I've talked about Egypt a lot. It was mind blowing. Um, so we're gonna get into that. We're gonna talk about his experience in Egypt. We talk about the possibility of ancient and advanced civilizations. He talks about why string theory doesn't work. Uh, it kind of gets funny when I when I say one plus one equals two and uh, he, he comes back with one plus one can lead to infinity and uh, blew my mind, <laughs> which was amazing. We talk about quantum fluctuations and entanglement, modern physics and science to explain miracles. The universe is a feedback loop and a whole bunch more. So this is part one. It's broken up into part two, uh, two, two parts anyways. And um, so if you want to check out the Resonance Science Foundation, go to uh, www.resonance.is forward slash zen and you can get 10% off. They also have an Explorers Lounge, which you can just go and browse amazing material for free. Um, and and if you want to go into the course, di dive a little bit deeper, you have that option. You'll, you'll be linked up. And, you know, for me, it's the community that's over there. Uh, you really can explore deep conversations in a safe space with a community of very intelligent people. So uh, great, incredible community over there. Amazing faculty. Um, so yeah, I can't say enough uh, great things. If you want to support the show, leaving a review in iTunes is great. Sharing episodes is uh, fantastic. 
and uh, checking out mattbelair.com forward slash store. So you would see the Resident Science Foundation in there. You'd see Sync Tuition, which is, you know, binaural, binaural beat, brainwave entrainment, that kind of fun stuff. And um, I'm actually testing a whole bunch of different products right now, products and supplements and things like that to see, uh, you know, how I feel about it. And uh, they've all come highly recommended. You know, my research has, you know, shown that it seems to be legit. And I'm just waiting to see how I feel about using them before I kind of share them because, you know, I'm all about just technologies and consciousness technologies and practices, you know. So, you know, doing things from meditation to uh, lucid dreaming to, um, workshops to, uh, courses like Sandra Walters Ascension Pass. So I like to just dive in there. So that's where I am right now. And, um, um, I think that's about it. You can go, uh, to mattbelair.com, sign up for the email list if you want. And there's a lucid dreaming freebie. Uh, if you want to learn how to lucid dream, it's an ebook with a guided meditation. Those who have picked that up have picked up lucid dreaming, you know, within a week, if they actually do the meditation, you have to do the work, uh, but it's a pretty simple process. So you can check that out. And um, that's it. I just want to thank you guys for coming on another episode. I hope that you had a fantastic holiday. I know that the holidays can be really hard for some people. So I just want to send out my love and support for you. If you're going through a tough one, um, maybe you lost, lost a loved one. It's the first year without them. So just wanting to send you love, knowing that you're supported, that you're perfect as you are, that... Uh, you know, that there is family out there, there's community out there, that you matter, that you're loved. And if you had a fantastic Christmas, you know, send out that love to your fellow man because it's not like that for everybody. It can be hard times for some people. So that's all I wanted to say. And before we dive in, um, I'd love to just invite you guys to come to coherence, come into resonance, as Nassim would say, and balance. And all we need to do to achieve that is simply just set our intention to do that. And then taking a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath. And just let it out slowly. With all the cares and all the worries of the day. And now taking another deep breath in through your nose. And as you do, just imagine powerful white gold and platinum light coming in and filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being. And have that same light energy coming down from the universe and just connecting with you and pulsing through every cell and every muscle. Connecting you to spirit and divine source. And see the energy of the earth coming up through your feet as you continue this slow, relaxing breathing. See the energy from the earth and the energy from spirit and source connect with you in the center of your heart. You are the centerpiece. And see these energies merging and flowing with this giant torus around you. See yourself in this energetic field of love, harmony, balance, and coherence. And as you connect with this energy, I just want you to think of one thing that you're grateful for this year. One thing you're grateful for over the holidays. Or maybe it's a friend or a family member or a pet or a job that happened. Just one thing that you're really grateful for. And as you think of this thing that you're grateful for, as you allow these energies from the earth to continue to support you and the energies from spirit to continuously connect with you and support you as well, just amplify this feeling of gratitude within your heart and see it enter your, your field, your Taurus field of the energy that you're creating. And just set your intention to expand this energy field out further out past your body 10 and 20 feet, then 50 and 100 feet, 
now stretching kilometers and stretching through your community and your city and your state and country. See it expand throughout the entire world and then out into the galaxy, just sending out loving, healing energy to all beings, sending that energy out into the galaxy and into deep space and multiple dimensions, past, present, and future, just sending love and harmony and coherence. As you continue to send that love and energy out, just set the intention to support and set the intention to just send good wishes to all beings and bring yourself into love and peace. And as you send that energy out, just see yourself receiving it as well, receiving love and support and harmony from the universe, from the sun, from the stars, from all life on earth, from the earth itself, just sending you this love and peace and coherence back. And now just allow yourself to sit in this energy, feel peace and coherence, knowing that you are worthy as you are. You are loving and and worthy of love and perfect just as you are. And you can come back to this state of coherence whenever you would like. So there we go. Enjoy taking that energy into this absolutely outstanding episode with the man, Nassim Aramine. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Master Mind, Body, and Spirit Show. I am your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest has spent over 30 years researching and discovering connections in physics, mathematics, geometry, cosmology, quantum mechanics, biology, chemistry, as well as anthropology and ancient civilizations. These studies have led him to groundbreaking theories published papers and patented inventions in unified physics and are now gaining worldwide recognition and acceptance. In his paper, Quantum Gravity and the Holographic Mass, a prediction of the charge radius of the proton was confirmed with greater accuracy than any other theoretical framework. He is the founder of the Resonance Science Foundation, where he leads physicists, mathematicians, and engineers in exploring unification principles and their implications in our world today and for our future generations. Welcome to the show, Nassim Haramine. Hey, Nassim. Hey, it's great to be here. I'm so happy to have you on. You know, I always say that I'm excited. I've had some amazing guests, but, you know, after going to Egypt with you and going through 90% of the delegate uh, course in the academy. It's truly uh, a privilege and an honor to have you here. So thank you so much for coming. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was great to have you on board in Egypt. Yeah, Egypt, <laughs> Egypt has been, we were talking a little bit before we started about the decompress and, and being around um, the outstanding group of people. And that was uh, one thing that I really wanted to share with my friends when I came back was not only was it really eye-opening and mind-expanding information, really high-quality physics and science. Um, But, you know, the human aspect and all the beautiful, incredible people that showed up and that want to explore and are willing to learn, I think that that for me was, you know, really the icing on the cake. Um, Maybe we can start there. How how was that for you and what was your, you know, motivation for getting everybody together? Because I know that was an idea for you for a long time to actually get people in the space in those sacred sites. 
Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. Um, the group quality was unbelievable. Um, the people that showed up, I mean, the, the amount of resources in terms of knowledge and, you know, amazing awareness and so on that was present in the room. Uh, you know, when the group first got together, I, it just blew me away. And, you know, this is just a small sample of the delegate um, community from 80 countries all around the world that are participating in the delegate course. And, um, you know, this, uh, this group we had in Egypt was just, uh, it was just the icing on the cake. It was just so awesome. Um, the, the amount of knowledge in the room and the amount of interaction that occurred and, and you know the 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 amazing um support like you know people were so supportive of each other and um you know and we had amazing guides and um the the whole journey was uh, transformative for myself and for most people that I asked in the group uh, you know I, I've not we've not received any negative comments from anybody at any point from a three-week journey through Egypt. And uh, it was just, but we've certainly received a lot of comments saying how transformed they feel then. And, um, you know, how they're seeing the world from a different perspective when they, come, they came back. I think what we uncovered when we were there is significant. I'm looking forward to writing on it. I, I'm preparing some material to publish very soon on it. It was such an amazing transformative experience for myself as well. Yeah, yeah. And being a participant, I can fully agree with all of that. I think that all of us were in awe the whole time and the energy stayed high. You know, normally, especially for me, you know, when you go into a subject that you're not very strong in, so it's a little bit harder to concentrate and stay aware but it was absolutely no problem i was more excited and when it stopped i was like you guys can keep going if you want you know i'm i'm eating this up and so the energy was was pretty spectacular did you find um did you learn anything there that surprised you because i was really so excited about the stories from the incredible guides that we had and um, i'm just curious if if you either deepened the level of understanding and knowledge that you had on egypt or if something new came up that you that you didn't know before uh yeah i mean certainly a lot of the things i had studied since i've studied ancient civilization and and specifically egyptology for almost 30 years but um but definitely i learned a lot as well um you know there was a lot of things that unless you're there and you see them um you know it's not necessarily written in books it's not necessarily available out there there's a lot that's unsaid about egypt and there's a lot that's unknown you know um and so many many evidence of advanced tooling for instance on very hard surfaces are not described in any history books and any of the literature you find. You have to actually go there and see it and document it yourself. And so I did learn a lot uh, throughout that trip. And I, um, you know, and I confirmed a lot of the things that I had come to conclude on independently by 
you know, the research I had done, one of these things was that a significant amount of the structures that are found in Egypt from temples to pyramidal structure to extremely large statues and, and obelisk and so on are not from dynastic Egypt. They are, they are from an earlier civilization, probably pre-cataclysmic civilization. And it was so great to hear our guides being Egyptologists, I mean, certified Egyptologists, you know, with degrees and archaeologists talking about it finally now, openly, that like many of the structures that are there are clearly not from dynastic Egypt. Dynastic Egypt came later, found the structures either buried under the sand or, you know, or found them literally where they are and, um, you know, uh, and, and claimed them, which is something that the dynastic kings did all the time and rode all over them and put their cartouche on it and, and, <laughs> and so on. But, but they didn't construct these things. And this is why, um, I mean, these specific things, some of the stuff they constructed, but um, some of the megalithic structures um, were not constructed by them. And that's why you don't find anywhere in Egypt a wall, even just one, in which the Egyptian describes building the pyramids, for instance, or, or moving mm -hmm. thousand-ton blocks or, you know, things like that, because you don't just move thousand ton blocks. You don't just start pulling on it and, and you don't just lift it out of a quarry hole. Um, you don't just, you know, float it across the Nile. You, you know, you just don't do these things. People don't realize the difficulty in lifting even 200 ton blocks, which is, clearly seen in Egypt and certain monuments um, such as the Valley Temple, the Sphinx Temple and so on, where they're, they're literally stacked on top of each other. You know, a 200 ton block, you're like that big beside it. You know, I mean, it's, it's big. And people don't realize the level of technology required to move these things. When you look at the 200 ton crane today, you don't even have like a self standing, like um, uh, uh, one uh, 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 foot crane. You, you need a bridge crane. Uh, these bridge cranes are very, very, very large. They, they roll on very specific rails with very special wheels. Um, you know, they can pick up, uh, they, can, they can do a lift. Uh, even up to a thousand ton, but then they can only move a few hundred feet along those rails and then they drop it. They don't go over, you know, hills and sand dunes and desert. And, you know, some of these, some of these statues and some of these obelisks come from Aswan quarry. A lot of them come from Aswan quarry you know, which are a thousand miles in some case, a thousand kilometers in some case from where they're found. And so, you know, all this doesn't add up to people pulling on vine ropes and, and chiseling with copper tools. It just, it just doesn't add up. And it, 
as well, a lot of the things we look at we looked at was the erosion on some of the on the some of the structure, clearly showing significant erosion, not just in the enclosure of the Sphinx, but on other structures around the Sphinx and other places, showing significant erosion that definitely predates these buildings to not 5,000 years in the fourth dynasty, but um, but much earlier, at least 10 to 12,000 years old. And in some cases, um, you know, geologists are even talking about much, much older dates, uh, you know, that, that are kind of difficult to contemplate, the dates that involve, you know, um, uh, you know, around eight, 80,000 years and, and so on. I mean, those are significantly large dates, um, uh, you know, span, large span of time. And, you know, but, but some of the erosion you see on some of these uh, structures um, weren't this. And, but at least, you know, at least pre-meltdown uh, uh, of the Ice Age, so we're talking about a civilization that was there long prior, um, before dynastic Egypt. But I'm just rambling because I'm so excited about everything I saw today. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Me too. Well, it's good to be excited. And and I always say there's a huge difference between reading about it, you know, even having a trusted friend go there, take a photo, but to be there, to experience it, to touch it, to see the stones, it's 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 definitely a game changer. And mm -hmm. a lot of the research I've done, I'm definitely a novice in this, but they talk about the energy that they can create and coming from, you know, a meditator type background, I could tune in and, and feel it just washing through my body. Um, being in the pyramid in the great pyramid, it was, it was very tangible feeling. It was very powerful. And, mm -hmm. you know, some of the theories, um, I think his name's Fred Cook. I don't know. Um, but he was talking about just being able to go through the sacred sites and it almost activates the DNA or some sort of initiation process. But, you know, you can definitely feel that energy. So, um, yeah, uh, those that night with the three pyramids, um, you know, under the full moon, harvest full moon was, was so transformative. So for so many people was so powerful. But yeah, there's a big difference between talking about it and studying and actually being there and seeing it. And when you see it, you know, I mean, we looked at various things as well that had very clear, very, very clear uh, power tool marks, you know, tubular drill marks uh, that were seemingly cutting through pink granite, very hard surfaces. Uh, durite and other different stones that are extremely dense, very hard. Um, like, um, you know, I mean, there, there's a tubular drill hole. I mean, we saw many. Uh, I don't know if you you saw them. We were in different groups. We might have you might have missed some, but it was one so impressive uh, in Karnak where. Uh, I, it's like 20 um, centimeter um, hole, uh, you know, uh, like a fairly large, um, you know, aperture. Uh, it's definitely deep into the rock. 
And because the rock has been quarried later on, you know that the hole is open, like it's sectioned, so that you only have half the hole, so you can clearly see, you know, the enclosure of the um, of the tubular hole, the tubular drill that was used, uh, because the you can see the thickness of the drill because you can there's still remaining um, uh, uh, center to the tubular drill so that you can actually see how thick the, the drill walls were of the tubular drill and it was extremely thin like um like a two millimeter to three millimeter uh thick um drill uh, walls of the tubular drill and it and you can see the striation of how fast it was going inside the rock how fast it was going in and uh i guarantee you we have nothing today that can produce these results um uh not anywhere close and in some cases we saw very very clear uh power tool cuts on very large stone uh clearly showing um that there was some kind of technology that was much more advanced than than copper tools and and people going like this and, you know chiseling away at the thousand ton block um there's a there's a perfect example in the um in the cairo museum of a lid of one of those uh very large box that um that that was the, that they had started to quarry the lid they 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 would cut the box out with the lid uh, with enough thickness to to be able to harvest the lid from the bottom of the box right so that the lid came from the same stone in exactly the same place where the box was taken uh, and so uh, in this case uh, they start to harvest the 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 lid from the bottom of the box uh but the clearly the stone must have cracked and they abandoned the job and the result is that they since they went further to than where it cracked um you can see the actual blade thickness that went into the stone and you can actually see the striation mark of the circular blade that was cutting into it. And, uh, you know, it literally looks like modern, uh, modern tooling, you know, that would be used to cut very large slabs of, uh, of granite, except that in this case, the blade thickness is extremely thin compared to what we would use in modern era. So, and, and the striation tells you that the blade was penetrating the rock at very, very rapid rate. So whatever that blade was made of, it's not something we have um, readily available to us in 2017. So never mind, you know, Fourth Dynasty Egypt, or 12,000 years ago. So, so, so there's something very significant there. And if you only had one example 
you could say, okay, we can dismiss that, you know, we can ignore that. But there is hundreds, thousands of examples in Egypt alone, never mind all around the world as well in Maya country and Inca country and so on, you know, all around the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. 100%. Well, I just had Hugh Newman on and he was a tree. And I've also talked to Michael Tellinger. And when people look at this stuff, um, Robert Shock as well, and they go there and they study it, you just find these mysteries and you have to look a little deeper. And the story that is, you know, the common story doesn't really add up. Um, and finally, uh, archaeologists and, and Egyptologists are starting to finally agree and, and let go of the idea that, uh, oh, no, it was all copper tool. And, you know, it, 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 and, you know, it's funny because we, people like us, are called irrational for talking this way. But in fact, what we're doing is only looking at the factual evidence on site. And coming to very clear conclusion based on the factual evidence. It's it's actually the mainstream archaeology that's not doing good science by somehow ignoring the thousands of evidence staring them in the face that something significant, something very amazing happened. Uh, and that... Um, and that these monuments and many of the and much of the culture that's in Egypt and other places around the world does not come like that 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 culture that that knowledge that that information didn't come from them internally developing over the years. For instance, you see in Egypt some of the most amazing structure being the earlier one, and then you see a decline in knowledge, right? So, so and, and even inside these traditions, the Mayans, the Incas, the Egyptian, and the others, the, none of them claim to actually have done this or have had the knowledge. They all said that they got the knowledge from what they call the sun gods or the gods and so on that had, you know, all the knowledge about mathematics and writing and engineering and all this and that they learned from them. Yeah, well, it's very clear when you go back to Samaria, you know, in the tablets that they're still decoding. That's what it says. And if you continue to look at that, pretty much everybody that goes in and takes a peek ends up there. And then they start to look at the oldest civilizations they could find and they find the same thing. And the stories are matching up around the world. And, you know, when you it is logical, you look at it and we can't build it now. And if you go forward in time, we're supposed to get smarter, right? We're not supposed to be really smart all of a sudden and then you know go through a process that doesn't make any sense right. so when you start to take the story seriously and look at it and then find evidence and and be open to other evidence you're going to start to um really really explore um one right. of the interesting talks i saw with um michael tellinger was where he put the pyramids and the sacred sites side by side to a computer chip and they look the exact same and so to me, looking at the planet, if there were these sun gods or something coming in, or or you at least had planetary awareness, we could say a hundred years from now, we all work together. And we would easily have that technology where we would work together and we would be able to manipulate the, you know, atmosphere and the energy of the planet in a in a, a beneficial manner. So even mm -hmm. it could have been something like that. So um well, I know no. that Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, you know, it was so 
refreshing to hear some of the archaeologists that were um, with us saying, yeah, you know, this piece of evidence, gravitational control is the only way this could have been done. It's like, yeah, you know, unless something we don't know about, but, you know, certainly gravity, gravity control must have been present for some of these pieces of evidence. When, like I said, if you have a thousand ton block and it's been moved hundreds of miles from where it's found across mountain ranges and, um, you know, and, 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 and rivers like the Nile, you, like I said, a crane that would do that is not reasonable. First of all, the crane would have to be brought on massive trucks right because the pieces of the crane the crane would be in pieces you'd need massive truck to bring the crane to the quarry then you would have to set up you couldn't be on like all this uneven terrain you see there in aswan you'd have to set up somehow to level a region that you could like set up the crane there it would be immense right it would be one of those bridge crane and and the, and then it would it would maybe be able to roll the the stone out um you know of the quarry but it it would only go a few hundred feet and then you would have to like undo the whole thing right move all the rails and all the pieces and everything and then reset it up a little further and level the ground and all this stuff and then move the block again a hundred feet, you know, a few hundred feet. And, 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 you know, literally there's like, there's like mountain ranges, like not very high mountains, but like hills, you know, that are fairly significant between the quarry and the Nile. And then you got to cross the Nile. Somehow you got to put a thousand ton block on some boat, right? And cross mm. the Nile. I mean, it just doesn't add up. It really mm -hmm. doesn't, and um, and so at one point you gotta you gotta really start to think outside the box. You know, you really have to start to think about uh, civilizations that are not just advanced civilization relative to the ancient Egyptian, but civilization that were more advanced than what we have today. So, you know, civilization that might have understood how to control gravity, civilization that might have had technology that was uh, energetic enough that it could ionize the stone to the point where it was malleable. Because there's a lot of evidence of that as well, um, where the, the stone might have been in a state of plasma at one point, uh, fairly malleable, and it could be shaped uh, and so on. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things you you have to start thinking outside the box to be able to resolve these problems, and and it's not it's not gonna be vine ropes and and slaves pulling. Uh, you know, it just isn't.
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me coming back, you know, you're in an interesting position being a physicist and having a science foundation and, you know, what you say or how you say it, you know, people get to really pick it apart, you know, and, mm-hmm. and do all that where I can just sit here with a beard and be a snowboarder and, and do that kind of thing. I can just kind of freely say whatever the heck I want. Right. And so when I came back, I would say different things and, and some people could handle an advanced civilization or something out of this world and somebody couldn't. But one of the ways that I said that was just completely logical to me, and I, I already used it once, was just imagine we start working together tomorrow. Everybody on the planet, Team Earth, everybody gets along, Team China, Team Russia, Team Canada, Team USA, we're all one team, baby. And then we, we start working on science, we start working on anti-gravity, we start working on whatever, we work together, you bet your ass we are going to the stars. We have, maybe not 100 years, give us 500. We're definitely doing it. We're making leaps every single day. And I know that's a huge part of your work. Um, You know, for me, people like you sometimes, it's like, I'm just smart enough to know how smart you are when I read something like um, your paper being confirmed with greater accuracy than any other theoretical framework. I don't exactly know what that means. Like I kind of do, but that's a big deal. And what you've put together is is a very big deal. So you're doing the hardcore science work and it's being proved. So um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? And you can steer into ancient civilizations as long as you want. But I was like curious about that. If there's anything that the public should know about leading science and the possibilities and what you're working on and maybe how that might apply to us. Because for me, it's just opening the mind. You know, if, if the four minute mile, you can't do it unless it's impossible. I understand it's hard for people to go there and open their mind. I mean, it's so it's so jarring for most people to even hear me say things like that. Like, you know, um, but, but again, you just the evidence is sitting there staring you in the face and you have to come up with, you know, an understanding that goes beyond what you can imagine you know um past even what we have today now why would that be so hard for people well because it's always hard for people to imagine something new um when the wright brothers flew the first plane although that can be debated too there was people in europe doing some pretty cool stuff um but let's just give them credit for that for now um, you know, um, it took, and of course, at the time there was no internet and all this, but it still took years and years, 10 years before um, physicists stopped publishing papers saying that flight would never be achieved and, and write physics saying and proving in their theory uh that nothing could heavier than air could ever fly um you know because they had all kinds of schemes mathematical schemes in which they would prove that that could not be done and the, those papers kept on getting published for 10 years after the first flight and so you know the you know none of these physicists have noticed that like birds and bees were doing it every day (laughs) but (laughs) you know remarkable this is where observation you know is critical um 
And so, yeah, <coughs> some of the theoretical work I did is very unusual, is very controversial. But at the end of the day, the competing theory is string theory. And um, in some three decades uh, and billions of dollars of investments, thousands and thousands of physicists working on string theory, not one, not one physical uh, measurable prediction was able to be uh, rendered from the theory. Um, where, uh, you know, and then the standard model, um, you know, made very specific predictions that are very important about fundamental constants and um, and certain fundamental particles, um, one being the proton, like, uh, and um, the nuclei of an atom. It's very important in quantum physics. And these predictions uh, were attempting to be confirmed in 2013, just after I published my unified view of physics solution and my prediction of what the radius of the proton should be. And my prediction was happened to be 4% smaller than the standard model. And so I had the choice in the paper to say that my model, unfortunately, was less accurate than the standard model by 4%, or to say that further um, ex experiment may confirm a 4% smaller radius for the nuclear atoms or for the proton. And um, I left it to that. And, um, and then a few months later, unknown to me, in an accelerator in Geneva, they were attempting to confirm the radius, the proton uh, model of the you know, prediction of the standard model. And they found a radius that was smaller by 4%. And of course, it matched my prediction extremely well. In fact, my prediction is inside the margin of error of their experiment. So that means that uh, although it's within 0 0.00036 of the measurement, um, you know, it might be actually exact and the measurement is getting closer and closer to the prediction. Um, so, so, and the standard model is off by 4% at this point. And so it really kind of messed up a lot of the standard model uh, because if the radius of the proton is different, it changes some of the fundamental constants interaction in quantum physics and everything goes sideways. And so they're really not excited about that. Um, the Reinberg constant and others can be affected. We published papers showing that actually you can extract those other constants from that same model that I initially published, which is a holographic model of the proton. And um, it actually is very accurate, not only for the proton anymore, because we published papers showing that you can extend the model to the electron and all the electron clouds for the table of elements. So you can output all the table of elements 
with extreme accuracy across um, all of the various orbitals of the electron. And uh, it's very powerful. It outputs all the correct constants. And so I think that, uh, uh, you know, there is a slow but steady motion towards this new view. And uh, it's starting to be taught in, in schools around the world um, as an alternative view to the standard model. And I think it's, it's, it has very much a lot of power in terms of understanding the universe, but as well, a lot of power in engineering new technology that could lead to the type of technology you, you require in, that we see in these ancient civilizations around the world to move these megalithic structures. So there's, there's a correlation there. And the correlation meets uh, in in very interesting way, which is something I found some 25 years ago that got me going on the ancient civilization side of things, is that this this new theory, this theory of physics that describes the material world as a result of fluctuation in the structure of space itself, meaning that space is not empty, it's full, it's full of energy, electromagnetic fluctuations that we don't measure, um, but that actually we started to measure now. There's direct measurements of the vacuum fluctuations now. It's called as quantum vacuum or zero-point energy. And, um, and that the energy in the space actually makes up the material world. Well, interestingly, when you render those equations I wrote, you end up with very specific geometric relationship between these oscillations in space. And these geometry match some of these ancient symbols you find on temples all around the world. Um, so one of them being the one that's behind your head there. Um, and so really um, this kind of links everything together and it leads us to something very, very powerful. And I know again, this is all very hard to think to to take in. You know, you can be challenged in thinking this way. Of course, it's unusual. Of course, it's bleeding edge. But I assure you that it's not coming from just some um, wishful thinking. It's coming from significant research. And I'm not the only one coming to those conclusions at this point. There's many other scientists and physicists coming to similar conclusions, although they can't necessarily publicly endorse it because the institutions are not excited about this uh, revolution that's occurring, uh, this renaissance that's, occur that's occurring in uh, science uh, because it's, it's uh, tumbling the old guards and... Uh, you know, much of the books that are in the institutions are going to have to be rewrote um, to actually match the new understanding that's emerging. So uh, scientists that have come forward supporting these views have uh, got severely punished. Uh, some of them lost their jobs. Some of them lost their, their, um, their peer relationship. I mean, it's very, very difficult. So it's mm -hmm. a long journey. 
Yeah. And, you know, that's where I just want to commend you personally for having the courage to just, you know, follow your own way to do it, you know, just to not just go down the path that this is what you're supposed to do. You know, I've only had that a fraction in my life being maybe more intuitive and really into martial arts. And, you know, you can't heal your own body or you can't do this. And like, what? Like, yes, I can. And then I'll figure it out. And, you know, it's been more of an internal journey, but I, I, I faced maybe a fraction of that. You know, I didn't have the the peer review in the eyes and, and, and all that pressure to just kind of conform. So to, mm -hmm. to pursue those theories, you know, and what you felt, I just want to commend you on that because, you Thank know, you. when you go down a path and, you know, let's say the person in the institution or whatever, and you've, you've done this way, one plus one is two your whole life. And then all of a sudden somebody comes along and changes it. You know, that's, that's a hard pill to swallow, but we are in a world now where we need to really move towards truth, towards community, towards kindness, um, towards collaboration, you know, c towards resonance, coherence. Right. And, um, and science and so is all about discovering new ideas, you know? And so if you're close to new ideas, then it becomes, it's no longer science. Now it's back into dogma. You know, that's the thing. And so, um, you know, and, and, and like you said, one plus one makes two. Well, actually, that's unproven to this day. You know, um, people don't realize that. Uh, there's a problem with one plus one makes two because you have to define one. And one is very difficult to define, turns out. Um, there's a great, there's a great um, uh, uh, history channel, I think, is who produced this um, um, uh, 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 little uh, movie, a little film um, that you can find. I think it's, it's on YouTube uh, called uh, Dangerous Knowledge. Um, and uh, it, it's about four mathematicians that uh, try to understand um, very important but very esoteric math um, that have to do with infinities. And, um, and um, you know, and one of them proved that there is an infinite amount of infinities. So, like, think about that for a minute. It's kind of, you know, might boggle your mind a little bit. But... Um, uh, Cantor did an amazing job, um, but 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 all of them ended up in institutions and and completely rejected from their peers. Some of them committed suicide, you know, and not because they were working on infinities, just because like the pressure from the institution and their peers, like uh, drove them into uh, depression and insanity. Um, so. Yeah, it's difficult, but one, you know, I, they mentioned, by the way, you know, that one point, one plus one, you know, there's been books that thick written about because there's a fractional problem. See, an infinite amount of infinities is hard to comprehend, but think about it. Uh, if, um, if you think about a fractal structure, then it starts to make sense because at any boundary in a fractal, you'll find an infinite amount of division inside it, right? So each boundary is an infinity, and it's embedded into an infinite amount of those infinities, right? So actually, mm. you know, 
uh, and, I, and I will work on this eventually, I just haven't had time, that, that work um, uh, was never actually fully understood and completed. And I'm, I'm definitely planning on completing those theorems, those mathematical theorems eventually when I have time to start to think about it or to work on them. But certainly uh, you can start, uh, you can imagine that um, if, you, if you say one plus one equals two, you have to define one. And so if you say one, one, one something, right like one pencil right so well or one mouse right well one mouse is made out of a lot of things you know there's a wheel on it there's a click on it there's a there's a right and a left button there's like a, a thingy okay so what are you meaning one right there's a fractal okay you mean the combination of all these things being one right but where do you divide that like because that mouse is made out of billions of atoms right so they but and they're constantly falling off it so like you can't contain it you know you can't so what do you mean one one what like one assembly of all these atoms well atoms are made of subatomic particles are you meaning the subatomic particle i mean basically you, you Trying to resolve one plus one makes two can lead you to trying to understand the fundamental forces of creation that makes thing that makes things in the first place, right? So you know this is how far you can end up going down the rabbit hole trying to solve one plus one is two, and so yeah, of course one plus one is two has some value in terms of um, you know in terms of practicality, you know, in, in adding things and subtracting things and, and, and mathematics, but, but in its fundamental, you know, in meaning, in its fundamental meaning, there's something very important, very deep that's not necessarily looked at, that's not necessarily explored. Um, and and that's why that movie is called Dangerous Knowledge, because uh, it can be dangerous to want to actually go down that rabbit hole. Um, mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I and and really what it says at the end of the day, if you do go down that rabbit hole, which I did, I don't know, just because I'm that <laughs> kind of person. Uh, it, what it says is that. Things are just not isolated from each other. Everything is connected in a deep manner. That there is infinities within everything. That there's singularity at the center of all things. That any, you know, when you, for instance, when you think of yourself, right? You think of yourself as one person, right? But you're actually a hundred thousand uh, no, actually a hundred trillion cells right so so that's that's way more complex than one right so a hundred trillion cells each cell you know like each second all these cells are are crunching about between ten to a hundred 
billion billion chemical changes you know and then they you know all this is like you're 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 dividing cells million cells a second i mean like there's all this so you're constantly changing so when you say one i'm one i'm one thing like like what do you really mean right and then each cell is made a hundred trillion atoms okay so the, now it's getting really complex right and so yeah <laughs> so the nature of reality is not so obvious and we tend to um just go with the program because our senses are fairly limited so things appear to be separate from each other they appear to be finite they appear you know we get a sense that like oh the material world oh yeah it's this solid stuff but then when you look closely you can't find solid stuff <laughs> you know all you find is electromagnetic fluctuations that we call electrons and that we call protons and you know we don't actually find solid stuff the the solid stuff we call reality is made out of 99.9999999999% space. And the stuff that's not space, that's how much space there is in the atom. And the stuff that's not space in the atom, the parts that we call particles are little charge that we know are there because there's a little charge there, but there's no billiard balls. There's no like, there's not there's no thing in the thing you know that you're looking at so so really what are we talking about we're talking about field interactions field interaction in the structure of space and now we're getting somewhere now we're starting to get deeper into the nature of reality something much deeper right now you start to think okay maybe it's like a field and it's being it's it's dividing itself and where it divides it makes a little boundary little electrostatic charge and that's what i'm seeing when i'm touching stuff right i'm actually seeing i'm actually experiencing boundaries in space you know maybe hard for people to integrate but it's important to understand that mm -hmm. Well, I think that you and I, for sure, in private, I'd love to talk to you for 20 hours and go, you know, because I suspend disbelief because I've done an immense amount of research and practices to get to the space where that just makes sense, like logical sense. And mm -hmm. you're touching a lot, a lot of things. It goes to, you know, kind of spiritual texts of we're all one. And when you go and you're kind of exploring who am I, well, I'm not my arm. I'm not my physical object. I'm not my thoughts. Um, I'm not just what I place my attention on. And so what the heck am I experiencing it? And you're coming at from a physics perspective as, okay, here's a cup. Let's look at the cup. Oh, this is a weird world. What's going on here? And so you're kind of bridging this gap of, of consciousness and physics and, and you're open to what you're finding. You know, you're not, you're not saying how it should be or how someone told you it's gotta be. It's like, this is what I'm finding. And this is also what I'm experiencing. Right. For me, I'm on the experience side and you're bringing out the physics side. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to explore either your thoughts on consciousness and the nature of consciousness or get into your arc crystal 
um, and some of the technology that you're bringing forth because some of the uh, studies there are, are pretty fascinating and or anywhere else you want to go this is a fun well, thing. You know, there's uh, I've been rambling I'm sorry um, but That's good <laughs> uh, you know it just that kind of stuff excites me um, and it's been exciting me for a long time because I mean for me there's not really other pursuit in life than to uh, get to understand ourselves deeper and our world around us and our relationship to it. But um, you can imagine that, um, okay, well, first of all, when, so when I start to think about matter being the result of a field, then I realized that we had discovered that field already almost a hundred years ago. Uh, it was called the quantum vacuum fluctuation. That is when we, when we start to write quantum field theory, we, when we realize that energy is quantized at the, the atomic level. And what I mean by quantized that, you know, that means that it's, it's like little packets of energy. They're like defined in little packets of energy. Uh, Einstein called them photons when he wrote these papers on the photoelectric effect, which he got the Nobel Prize for. Um, people don't realize Einstein didn't get the Nobel Prize for relativity, which is more known for. Uh, he got the Nobel Prize for actually contributing to the start of quantum theory. Um, but um, he... Uh, so, so these packets of energy, uh, when they try to figure out, like, well, what are the wavelengths that they go to? Like, how small do they get? They, the equation said, well, they go to infinity. There's an infinite amount of packets of energy in the structure of space everywhere. Now, people might think, what is he talking about? Like. If there was energy in the space everywhere, why? Like, I wouldn't know about it, right? Like, it would be obvious. Like, there would be massive amount of energy everywhere in space, right? Well, it's not that clear. It's not that easy because, our, like I said, our senses and our measuring devices are not that well-tuned. So... For instance, until recently, I mean, historically speaking, we can, we thought that the only part of the electromagnetic field there was, was the visible light. Un until we start to discover, oh, there's x-ray, oh, there's infrared, oh, there's ultraviolet, oh, there's gamma ray. Oh, you know, all this stuff was completely invisible to us until we got technology sophisticated enough that we start to see parts of the electromagnetic field that is not readily available to our senses, right? Um, unlike visible light, which we see every day. Now, you know, some dude forgot some radioactive material on his desk and there was some photographic plates beside it. And guess what, you know? He realized, wow, you know, it's impacting my photographic plates. Well, there must be some electromagnetic things coming out of this, you know, little radioactive material. And, you know, so, 
eventually x-rays were discovered and all this and so same thing there's radio waves in the space right around you there's there's hey there's background radiation noise from the so-called big bang you know all around us there's this stuff in the space there's a lot of energy in this there's the wi-fi in your house this you know there's all this stuff going on and it's very real it it does very good job at transporting information you know like your cell phone you know transport your voice no problem uh you know to the nearest uh repeater antenna um you know and all this uh your satellite TV works because it's able to communicate to a satellite, you know, uh, a few thousand miles up, you know. Um, so um, it really is remarkable um, and it's very much present and it's very much real. Like you, you tune a little crystal to the right frequency and you get a radio set, um, you know, and all of a sudden you hear music come out of the box. And it's not like there's a band inside the box. And I'm I'm leading to something. I know I'm rambling, but I'm leading to something. And that is that like, you know, the the would so so imagine that like there is electromagnetic fluctuations that are occurring that are even much, much higher frequency, much, much shorter wavelength then all the stuff we use and that we're accustomed to, that we can measure with our current technological uh, capacity, with the current, you know, resolution that we have on the electromagnetic field. Well, you know, it turns out that quantum theory that eventually predicted that it was infinite amount of fluctuation in each point, right? Well, it turns out that like, it probably has a limit, at least in our current universe, for the pixel size of that uh, of that fluctuation in space. That's called the Planck size, the Planck length, right? Which is basically the time that a photon would take to go across itself at the speed of light. Okay, and so it's very, very high fluctuation. Very, very short wavelength. Think of it as like a little spinning vortex, but it's very, very, very tiny, like a tiny, tiny pixel of space-time. And, and it's everywhere. And guess what? We're starting to be able to measure it. We're starting to be able to actually directly measure it. And, and you know, there's the Casimir effect, but there's as well other measurements that are now being made. But... Never mind that. The thing is so small that if I grew one Planck oscillator, one of those little pixels, so it was the size of an of an of a proton, okay, the nuclear of an atom, which is already extremely small. If I grew one, actually, if I grew one Planck, so it was the size of a grain of sand then the proton inside the atom would be the size spanning a diameter from the sun to Alpha Centauri, which is approximately 40 trillion kilometers, okay? That would be the size of the proton if the Planck was the size of a grain of sand. So you can imagine, guess what? 
you're not experiencing the plant field directly. You're not, you know, it's very difficult to measure, right, and so on. So, um, but we know it's there. It's predicted by theory, and we're now in experiments able to measure it. So, so what I did is I used those little Planck oscillators, and I said, okay, well maybe the if they're everywhere and they're extremely dense, right? Because they're so small, there's a lot of energy in every centimeter cube of space. I started to calculate how they interact with each other. And when I did, I started to, I mean, it took me 20 some years, but I eventually found an equation where there, I realized, and the equation is super simple. I can't believe it took me that long to find it. Um, but I realized that the amount of information, so think of each plunk as a little bit of information, like a pixel of information, that yep. the amount of information inside the proton relative to the amount of information on the surface of the proton is the exact mass of the proton. That is, the, the amount of information able to escape the proton is what we call mass. Right, because the proton mm -hmm. is the mass of the material world we see. So actually, we're actually just looking at information moving through the field, and we we think of it as energy or mass, right? E equals mc squared. So you can interchange mass for energy. So 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 all of a sudden, it's a completely different view of the of of the of the world. Mass, energy. You can imagine right away if that equation is correct, and as you said, it's been confirmed by experiments now. That means we start to understand the source of mass. That means we might be able to control mass. We might be able to control gravity, right, very quickly from these equations. It leads directly to gravity control. All right, that wraps up part one with the outstanding, remarkable Nassim Haramin. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. This is just uh, not even scratching the surface of this man's wisdom. I came across him years ago going through an eight-hour lecture that he gave, and it just blew my mind. And ever since, I've been following his work and was really excited to get connected to the Resonant Science Foundation, and I realized that they had put up a course that you could go through, a delegate program, and it's a, an extremely powerful course. It's shifted my view of the world. It shifted my way of thinking. Um, I have a clear view of physics, and I, I've always absolutely despised science uh, because how it was taught in school and absolutely love their physics. So I can't wrap my head around all of it. However, I know that it's valuable, and the stuff that I can, it's not all heady science stuff they do a uh, world history uh, changing your view on like how you how you see the planet and the universe it's all of it is very remarkable profound and powerful information and like i said the community is really where it gets special because the faculty are outstanding and the delegates are outstanding and it's a safe space to ask questions to to put something to the community and, and get great feedback non-judgmental educated feedback 
and and really cut to the bottom of the baloney because there's a lot of information out there and when you're navigating it by yourself it can be very challenging to separate fact from fiction so it's a very open intelligent and heart-centered community so i highly recommend everybody go check out the delegate uh foundation the delegate program and you can check it out at www.resonance.is forward slash zen and you will uh you'll get 10% off. And also the Art Crystal, which I forgot to mention in the in the first spiel of this, the Art Crystal is gnarly. They The research they have on that with biology and growing seeds um, considerably quicker and the seeds and the, and the grass being resistant to chemicals just by charging water with this crystal. So he's going to talk about this crystal in part two. You can check it out at www.arccrystals.com dot com as well um it's really fascinating we had them in egypt and you know i meditate now and and i'll put it on my third eye and i can feel the energy from this thing i use it to charge my water and like i said i've said it on a few podcasts ago i remember him first talking about it in in sedona and he probably went on about it for about 30 minutes and all i know he said was like science he just said a bunch of science stuff i have no idea what it meant sounded really fascinating and I definitely believed him that that there is all kinds of science magic in this. And I begin to experience it. And they ha- they're starting to show the studies that they have with using this crystal charging water and what it can do. So really powerful stuff. So if you're curious about that, check out arccrystals.com. And um, I should have a link up there. Um, they gave a link for a discount during the show. Uh, but I'll find out on that and I'll put it in the show notes on the blog. So you'll be able to find that because uh, the original one, I think, was Matt Belair's show or something. But uh, I'll make sure I have that for part two. And it'll be in the show notes on SoundCloud and on YouTube and everywhere else. So I'll find that for you. And uh, that's it. So if you want to support the show, you know what to do. Please leave me a review. It helps. And uh, sharing episodes, that helps. Check out mattbelair.com forward slash store. Get some cool free stuff like sync tuition you can go to bit.ly forward slash gamma waves and you know you don't even have to learn how to meditate you just listen to cool 3d tracks and resonant science is over there dr nick's essential oils and some new cool stuff is coming down the pipe in 2018 because it seems like lots of technology is coming out and lots of people are sending me all these different uh teachers in these books and these technologies so i'm just sifting through them as quickly as i can and as diligently as I can because it's a lot of stuff and I'll be sharing that with you guys. So before we go, I'll just invite you to stop and take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and as you do, just set the intention to come into a peaceful, coherent and balanced state and just let that energy out, that breath out slowly. And now taking another deep breath in through your nose and just imagine drawing in this energy of peace, coherence, balance, harmony. Just feel yourself come into a harmonic state. Feel yourself just just pulse, love and harmony and balance through every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being just through your breath and your intention. And just let it out slowly with all the cares and all the worries of the day. And now continue to take another deep breath in through your nose and imagine a white, gold, and platinum light coming down from the universe and flooding every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being. Just see the energy from the earth coming up through your feet 
and just pulsing again through every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being. And now, as you continue to deep breathe and just relax even more, set your attention on your heart. And I want you to just imagine one thing in this world, one thing that you could just attract into your life that would just improve your life. Just imagine for a moment that you could have anything that you wanted. Infinite wishes. And I want you to just imagine what your most ideal life looks like, who you'd be around, what you'd be doing, what your body looks like, how you would explore and learn, what you would master, where would you travel. Just imagine right now in your mind's eyes, you continue to breathe your absolutely ideal life. Just to let all the sensations and the feelings and thoughts to come in, see yourself traveling, see yourself with loved ones, see yourself exploring the planet and learning. See yourself contributing to society. See yourself with the resources you need to do what you love. And just enjoying life freely. As a free and sovereign being on the planet, full of love and harmony and peace. And as you connect with this energy, I want you to send it out to your friends and family and loved ones. I want you to send that energy out so that they, too, can be inspired to live the life of their dreams. Just sending them support and love and gratitude Sending them energy to believe in themselves, to follow their dreams and hearts. Send this energy out to your city and to your state and to your country. Send this energy out to the entire planet, wishing love, peace, harmony, inspiration to all beings. Send this energy out beyond the planet into the solar system and into the galaxy and out into deep space, just wishing peace and coherence and love collaboration and growth and harmony for all beings and as you send that energy out see it come back to you and just giving yourself love and peace and coherence sending this all this good energy to your cells and your muscles and fibers of your being knowing that you can create any reality that you want that that is your right as a divine creator i just sit in this energy for as long as you'd like So thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you in part two with Nassim Aramine.